0: Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul pabadi Hello everybody, this is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flying time today, an hour and 31 minutes, and we expect another time Coming up on this flight, I take a shower in the first class cabin of an Emirates A380. A fire cripples Fiumicino Airport in Rome. Asia is running out of pilots but builds the best airports. The war of reports between the US and the Gulf keeps going, and we look at a fantastic hotel in Hong Kong. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast seatbelt sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. Flight 14 to Dubai. Hi, Alex.
1: Hi, how are you? Are you not too jet-lagged?
0: Well, I could ask you the same question. We've been traveling a lot, right?
1: This is true. Your itinerary was epic to say the least I've, I've never seen anything like it
0: yeah I've, i was in luxembourg in frankfurt and dubai then through i went to hong kong to meet you through yeah. bangkok actually <laughs> so was, and back to dubai to go to rome and from rome to here only for one day because i'm leaving again tomorrow uh, but we had a great time in hong kong we did what a city oh. what a city well for you it's also a trip back to memory lane because you used to live there right
1: I did. I I spent 10 years there as a kid or teenager. But boy, I mean, even in the last, last, I think it's been three years since I've been there, how much it's changed is just incredible.
0: Yeah. I agree. It's an amazing, it's really a breathtaking city. It must be one of the best cities in the world. Without a doubt.
1: Without a doubt. I think it's funny because I I went to my old neighborhood and I was like, I'm going to go see the little old lady that we used to buy our goldfish from. It's like this little tiny (laughs) shack, like, with the width of a of a door, of a house door. I was like, I'll go see her, maybe she'll remember me. It's an Apple store now. <laughs>
0: oh wow, that tells you a lot about The whole
1: thing's gone and it's an Apple store. <laughs> oh god.
0: <laughs> but you've also been to Singapore, right?
1: Yeah, quick 36-hour uh, trip to Singapore.
0: So um, you were both in these two cities for to record your uh, video travel show called Attaché. That's, right. that's uh,
1: right. We were shooting Attaché episodes in Singapore and, and Hong Kong. So I'll, uh, we'll
0: put the links here as well when, when, when you release these episodes. The last one was, uh, which one was the one that it was just released? Uh, we will be putting sing- uh, San Francisco out early next week. Oh, awesome. So we'll put the link here as well. Uh, Yeah, because to warn people, we probably won't be recording next week because I'm traveling in Prague and then New York and I don't think I'll be able to record. Uh, And apologies for those who are are used uh, to have an episode on Monday. The last two, uh, including this one, are recorded on a Friday because of, well, those travels. Uh, But we're still trying to get once a week and we kind of still good at it right yeah we, yeah
1: we have a pretty good record
0: so far <laughs> so uh, we decided to name this episode Dubai Airport because we'll be talking a lot about Emirates both uh, news and also because I've been traveling Emirates more to, more of that in a few but first so the news of the week uh, well Emirates just announced profits and it's pretty actually good profits they are um, they surge 40 wow. percent uh, to 1.2 billion dollars. Uh, they said, of course, the fuel cost dropping was a big help there. Uh, though, that's interesting, they had some uh, issues with, uh, you know, the, the, the runway at Dubai was under renovation, one of the runways, and that created a little bit of bottleneck in Dubai, which is already a very busy airport, so I cannot imagine how it must have been. Uh, so that kind of dented the profit a little bit, but they're very happy with that, and that proves that, you know, we have this old debate that comes every week that will come to it in a few seconds. It, it, it proves that the airline is actually not only being subsidized as it's being accused of, but actually it really makes a profit.
1: Yeah, that they can make a profit on this is just ex- extraordinary.
0: Yeah, yeah. it's uh, the uh, chief exec, uh, Sheikh Ahmed bin Said Al Maktoum, uh, said the profit was achieved despite a tough market and stiff competition. Uh, and our position has always been clear we embrace competition because it is good for the consumer for the industry and also for us and we just have to stay ahead of our competition so it's a little bit of a shot here at the US airlines I'm sure <laughs> yeah
1: yeah it's a it's an interesting one I'm, I'm impressed that they were able to pull this amount of profit together given the circumstances given the environment and i think just as as importantly Given the amount of competition, especially on key routes, I mean they they own Dubai from an infrastructure and connection perspective, but they're going head to head with people on a lot of routes.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and uh, oh yeah, just and to because the number is quite staggering. The fact that this runway was closed uh, cost the airline almost 500 million dollars in potential revenue so that's actually a lot you know for other airlines it would be really something that would actually make them lose money right so so
1: it seems like pure scale for them they're throwing so much capacity out there that they can afford to throw a little bit of a loss at at some routes just to stay competitive just to have a presence
0: yeah i mean i i've taken a few flights uh, as i said earlier uh they were most of them in economy were full not all in business class but they were also pretty full. I mean, the capacity, they say it's between 70 and 80%. So they are actually, I mean, it's true, you had this um, comment on two episodes in a row when you said that probably uh, for the US, uh, when when we talk about the US, they're adding routes in order to potentially having them before the hammer comes down yeah. uh so i will report that uh, next week uh because i'm flying through uh, milan to uh jfk so i'll tell you if that flight is actually you know full or not <laughs> i have no clue yeah it'd be interesting to see that's because it's quite an unusual routing isn't it i
1: wonder who the comp- competition is on that alitalia and maybe some of the u.s airlines
0: yeah exactly it's uh it's a fifth route freedom route so it's uh the, the flight actually starts in dubai stops in milan and continues but it's true that if you are in dubai and want to go to gfk there's a direct route as well so I'm, i would be interested to see what happens in that last leg I've, I've basically when i met you in hong kong it was the same thing because i traveled through Bangkok and a lot of people actually you know just left the uh, the uh, the aircraft in Bangkok and the, the aircraft wasn't full from Bangkok to Hong Kong because again there was 20 minutes later actually from Dubai to bank uh, to Hong Kong a direct flight uh, I took it because I wanted to heighten my chances of being upgraded
1: <laughs> so I think I, I wonder why they do that I wonder if it's that reverse leg is is a good, yeah. Uh, backfill route. So Hong Kong, Bangkok.
0: Do they do that? Is it? Yes, it, they do that. I've, I haven't taken it because on the way back, I went directly to Dubai. So I, I, I cannot report, but yes, they do that. Uh, and I think it's really, they're trying to open a lot more of these fifth routes. More, Most of them are in Asia. The only one that is in Europe, US, is at Milan, GFK. But there's, there are a few of them. I can put the, put the list uh, because I was looking for them. There's a few of them actually in Southeast Asia and obviously in. Um, uh, Australia as well, mm, um, mm. so they do these, but I don't know, I don't even know if they they say what are the capacity on the single legs, uh, or if they just count the entire flight, I wouldn't be able to tell you. But anyway, it's a, a, a very uh, good news for Emirates. Uh, actually, it was very interesting, because when you fly Emirates, uh, by default, when you uh, put your headphones on, uh, even with that, before you start uh, watching a movie or anything else, there's a default channel, which is channel 400, and it's uh, called Emirates Interviews uh, by uh, a guy that's called Steve Harvey. And this time, there were two interviews. I'll come to the second uh, later. But the first interview was, of, uh, he was interviewing Ramsey Journey. Uh, he's linked with the AmCham, so the American Chamber of Commerce. I don't remember mm. the exact, exact title. It was interesting how they spent 20 minutes talking about... How you know the routes through and from the U.S. were increasing trade between the U.S. and the UAE. How it was increasing for both uh, businesses based in Dubai and businesses based in the U.S. And you could obviously see, even though it was never mentioned, that it was all about this big debate we're having right now. So it, it was right. pretty interesting to see. Yeah, that. they're
1: throwing everything they can at it.
0: Yeah. Uh, one, 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 one thing that was pretty staggering is through the interviews, uh, it was said, I think, that 20% of the trade between the two countries is basically Boeing. They're Boeing aircrafts. <laughs> wow.
1: Well, see, that's another thing that just makes this whole thing even more complicated, isn't it? I mean, it's an American company who are not going to want to see that relationship deteriorate. Yeah, absolutely. At all. absolutely. And there's leverage there for, for not just Emirates, but for the other Middle Eastern carriers to get Boeing to put pressure on the U.S. government to say, look, otherwise, they obviously wouldn't say it directly, but they could in theory say we will stop buying Boeing airplanes unless this gets sorted out in a fair manner. And, you know, the, the, the <laughs> whatever fair means t- is open for interpretation. Yeah,
0: we'll come to that in a second. But there was one also another uh, quote there that I really liked because I think it's kind of valid. This uh, Mr. journey said trade follows plane routes, and I think it's absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. You need that that
1: that connectivity yeah, really to, to to open up trade.
0: So uh, Emirates also we had mentioned that they had a re- created the first report uh, to answer the U.S. attacks, and they've just added a second one, which is a bit more aggressive. <laughs> Let's it's be a that bi- way.
1: Yeah, it's a bit more aggressive. I think it's really well done, actually. It's a. I don't know if it, I'm, I'm sure it comes in a physical form, but the one that we've seen is a, is a PDF uh, on their website. And it's basically a, not a white paper. It's not nearly as dry as that. It's, it's just a brochure. It's a 20-something page brochure that kind of outlines their case against the accusation. And the first real headline
0: is subsidy, question mark, Tosh, which is such a great word. (laughs) And then there's this image of partnership for open and fair skies, a level playing field for all. And they slash some words and it becomes partnership for closed and protectionist skies, a level playing field defined by U.S. legacy (laughs) careers. (laughs) It's quite
1: clever. And I think actually one of the lines that that really sticks out from this for me is, it says here, um, quote, for the record, uh, Emirates does not received and never has received any form of subsidy from the UAE government. And considering that we have operated to the U.S. since 2004, we fail to understand how we can possibly be competing unfairly in 2015. <laughs> so it's, it's – which is a, a nice way of saying, you know, this wasn't an issue when we didn't see us as competition.
0: Yeah, absolutely. They are- But it's
1: a, it's a very well-organized myth, fact, kind of busting yeah, the, the, economic benefit. The, the, there
0: some, there's some interesting things. There's like the commitment to emerging markets and they, they, they break down how many of the US airlines are actually catering for the Middle East, Africa and Asia. And you can see that, for instance, American Airlines has only five routes to Asia, but nil in Africa or the Middle East. Uh, United is a bit more, Delta also a bit more. But I mean, compared to what Emirates offers, they say, look, these are routes that you don't cover anyway already, and we are covering them through Dubai. So uh, they also say, coming back to the the comment I made about this podcast that has been on the Emirates uh, in-flight entertainment, there has been a 442% growth in U.S. exports to the UAE since Emirates started service in the U.S. in 2004, as you said. So, well, they go into numbers saying, look, th- there's also win-win here. There are many other businesses, like you said, airports and uh, Boeing, obviously, but others that are winning through having new routes, new uh, possibilities of trade. It's uh, it's pretty well done. I, I love the – I don't know if you've seen it. I love the uh, the handy guide to select legacy carrier language.
1: Yeah, that made me laugh. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a brilliantly done piece of – well, it's propaganda really isn't it but it it, it works well and they have uh, um the ceos and senior leadership of some of the american carriers they pull use their own quotes against them yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. that's and very very well done
1: very clever and it, it's obviously done by an well maybe it's not done by an external agency but it feels like a pr piece and it is it is extremely well done. I have to give them credit.
0: Yeah, I will post some of the uh, the handy guide uh, words dictionary because it's really fun to read. <laughs> That's why I'm saying, I was starting by saying it's a bit more aggressive. It's not aggressive, but it's a bit more like, okay, you want to play, let's play. And, um, they, and, there's, and the last bit is also interesting because they also go into cargo. They do not only show what happens to passengers, but they also show into cargo. And they, they even say something, use a word that is pretty interesting. They say they basically are the the enabler of the new Silk Road. Uh, They show all the destinations to cater for India, Southeast Asia, and how they also pursue trade for cargo only, and uh, especially a lot coming from Europe, actually, because the the report is not only directed against the U.S., but also hints at Europe, at Italy, at the European Union. So it's it's worth a read.
1: It is worth it, it, and it really is. If you have a moment... Take a uh, even a glance through it. It's it's a really nicely structured document, and I think some of the arguments that that uh, Emirates pull out are applicable to the to the whole argument, not just Emirates's case. So it's it, it's worth reading. And again, that what are we? We're fourteen for fourteen episodes on mentioning this, and I don't think <laughs> it's going to go away, and I don't think it's going to fizzle out either. I think this is no. something that we are going to keep hearing about, and and new pieces of information, new arguments are going to be
0: postured every week. Yeah. So
1: get yeah. used to it, people. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Another bit that was, uh, so again, in that Channel 400, there was an interview of Tim Clark, the CEO. So it's the first time. Usually, actually, I skip that channel because they have, you know, they talk about Dubai and other stuff. But this time, was you could really feel they talk about the airline again because of this debate. And this interview is actually available online. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes. You can listen to it. Uh, it's 20 minutes. Tim Clark is really eloquent. It's pretty amazing how what he talks about. He talks about obviously the, the A380, how the iconic the, this plane is. He even says, and I don't know if you believe that, he says that many people are opting for Emirates, not only on price, but because they really want to fly the A380, and even though it might not make sense because it would be an alternate direct route with another carrier, they would choose Emirates because they want to fly the A380. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know where he comes from, uh, when he gets the data from, but it's interesting to see how he talks about it. Yes, yeah,
1: I think that that's true. I think maybe not necessarily a- the A380, but certainly Emirates and and the experience of transiting through a purpose-built transit airport like Dubai. I I, I can see that, especially if you're going to save just a little bit of money as well. I'd rather have comfort... Comfort and reliability, and and all of that, and a little bit cheaper than and, discomfort and lost luggage and yeah, you know, and, and some and
0: some freedom. I know that it doesn't apply for everyone, but someone like me, I mean, I was able to do a routing leaving from Frankfurt, going to Hong Kong, coming back to Rome, and they wouldn't penalize me because I was not doing a return on the plane. That's a of course a hub network they use, but it's it's actually that very agreeable. Great,
1: that's that's really that's really really important.
0: The the thing that it was staggering in that uh, Tim Clark interview, he says we are still in our first phase of expansion. Uh, uh, how is that even possible? <laughs> exactly. You're like you started in '85 because it goes back into you know when we sat down in '85 and created a plan that is what we're doing now, executing on. And we he still thinks is our first. So for the A380, they have 75 A380s. They are going to 140. That's the order, but they want to order even more. <laughs> Wow, Uh, they are retiring some 777 because they want to replace them replace them by the 777X, which is coming very shortly. Um, And he even talks about so you know we will talk about the airport at the end, but he says that you know Dubai is at 70 million passengers, and he clearly for the first time I hear it, he clearly hints that basically Emirates at some point will probably move to the new airport, Al-Maktoum, which is half an hour away in the middle of the desert, so they have huge room to grow. This airport, when I read the first time about it, they said the airport would cater for 120 million passengers a year. And he says that the airport will eventually cater for 240 million passengers a year. Can you believe that? That is staggering. Absolutely staggering. Now, the
1: question is... Is the regional infrastructure, air traffic control infrastructure, yeah. going to be able to yeah. endure that? So they're going to have to invest in that as well. Not just in the in the UAE, but,
0: you know, everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. And finally, he says that, by, that he wants by 2025 that Emirates is the airline of choice for consumers. So you say airline, you think Emirates. And he clearly hints out of like you, you think smartphone, you think Apple. You know, that's the... The goal he wants to set. He even says that we look at interior designers, at fashion, our car makers, and we want to really create that experience in our airline. And that's a goal for twenty twenty five. It's it's you know lots of confidence. Yeah, it's
1: it's amazing to think that they've done this in well thirty years.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Because um, they the sadly the the founding CEO died uh, last week, Maurice Flanagan, mm-hmm. and he was part of a ten man team that in nineteen eighty five had two leased airplanes and a 10 million dollar US dollar grant from the from the emirate uh, the UAE government with a quote strict warning not to come back for more <laughs> <laughs> and he only retired two years ago uh, and, he, and he died at 86 so he was in it for the long haul and yeah. pretty uh, pr- pr- pretty amazing
0: pretty amazing uh, staying in the Middle East uh, Etihad has replied to the American accusations right uh,
1: yeah they did and I'm really interested to know if there's any cooperation in what they're putting out. Uh, uh, you know. could, you no. could call it collusion. I don't know. But they have put out a very aggressive accusatory piece saying that uh, American, Delta, and United have received benefits worth nearly $72 billion over the last 15 years. And that uh, has come in the restructuring in Chapter 11. Now, some p- people debate whether Chapter 11 equals subsidy, but it doesn't really matter uh, it's it's a heck of amount of money. Mm-hmm. They haven't replied yet. It was done by a quote unquote independent uh, auditing company called the Risk Advisory Group, and they uh, the benefit the majority of those benefits came from that restructuring under Chapter Eleven, which yielded them uh, thirty five billion dollars, thirty billion in pension fund bailouts. Uh, from the, for, directly from the U.S. government. Yeah, directly.
0: That's actually true. we said that many times that the pension is probably the one that is, can, for me at least, can be called some kind of state aid or subsidy because if you offload your entire pension plan to a public entities, that's, come on, that's state aid. Yeah, it's... No matter the good excuses behind, I'm not, by the way, think they had probably to be saved after 9-11 and then again another time later on, but still, you cannot not call state aid when you offload that amount of money to uh, to a public entity.
1: Yeah, it's it's an extraordinary. I mean, there are a lot of numbers being bandied about. I wonder if anybody with a who is totally independent is going to get a chance to actually. Yeah, uh, look at them. Look at the, the the legitimacy of these numbers on either side. Yeah. See if, yeah. if anyone actually has a case, and if they do have a case, again, what action is gonna is gonna be taken? It benefits no one. The consumer is going to lose out no matter what.
0: Yeah, I agree. I love that in that uh, article you sent me about this, uh, there's a quote says, we're not going uh, to get into a tit-for-tat. Well, uh, it kind of looks yeah. like it, actually. But <laughs> Yeah, I
1: would suggest that they already have.
0: <laughs> so in the U.S., uh, news from Frontier Airlines.
1: So Frontier Airlines, based out of Denver, they have just got rid of their CEO. Boy, this airline has just gone from plucky little upstart with a really customer-focused, customer-centric attitude to just a crap show. <laughs> t- they were bought and then bought and then downsized and then bought, and they've just been passed around. And they switched e- uh, almost exactly a year ago to an ultra-low-cost model. And no. when I knew them, they had – they were one of the first airlines in the U.S. They, to have live satellite TV on all of their airplanes. They were a really good, friendly, small airline. And now they're an ultra-low-cost carrier. Uh, they charge for everything. And they are now ranked the least popular airline in the U.S., even
0: worse than Spirit. Wow. There was I remember there was some debate at some point that they had switched the customer uh, call center, and apparently, basically, you could never reach anyone, what are you trying yeah, to call they, it? A very they, bad reputation for that.
1: They outsourced a lot of their airport operations. I think they they sacked, not sacked, but made redundant about 1,200 people as, as a result. Their on-time performance just went through the floor. It's
0: been a disaster, an absolute disaster. So do you, think, do you think the CEO was sacked? Do you think he just resigned because he says, you know what, this airline is going down the drain, or at least its reputation, and I don't want my reputation to be soiled by it or do you do you have any insight or any i
1: think in the investors thought enough was enough and this this model isn't working and they needed to, to do at least in the investors
0: eyes something drastic yeah it strangely the, the the airline will be now run by some of a committee of two people which is a bit yeah
1: a board appointed committee of two people which gosh i mean who knows if that's going to work probably not i don't think i think frontiers days are numbered sadly i think that they will be acquired or just they'll they just won't make it through the next few years sadly yeah have you ever flown them by the way once long time ago and it was fine it was fine It, it, it it used to be a very popular beloved airline and now
0: it's just been ruined oh well well Uh, I guess I will never fly them then. (laughs) No, I wouldn't. uh, Back to Europe, to a story you found a few episodes ago in Cyprus.
1: Yes, episode 12, we talked about the fact that there was possibly going to be a new airline in Cyprus, but there was a lot of mystery and uncertainty about whether there was actually any truth to this tale. Uh, There was a mention of a new airline called Cobalt Air, but we could only find one vaguely written article in a Cypriot newspaper. Well, it turns out that it's true. The Cyprus uh, government has, in fact, received an application for an AOC from an entity called Cobalt Air. And the people that were rumored to be associated with it are indeed speaking on its behalf. And they have said, yes, we are. We have filed an application. It will take about four or five months to get a response. And this is interesting. They also hasten to add that Cobalt Air was the name of the registered company and should not be assumed that it will be the name of the airline.
0: Oh, okay. So it might not be the brand name they will use to fly. Right. Okay.
1: Right. So it'll be interesting to see what comes of this. But they are very bullish about the Cyprus outbound and inbound market. And they think that Cyprus needs its own airline now that uh, that Cyprus Airways is, is gone. Mm-hmm. So good luck to them. It'll be interesting to see how this actually pans out maybe by the end of the year cyprus will have a new
0: airline yeah absolutely i mean maybe they're trying to on a smaller scale but to aim at a similar model and you know turkish and these emirates like because i mean besides going to cyprus for holidays and a bit for business they also have this kind of century located uh the, the way they are located in, 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 the, in the sea means that they are in the middle between Europe and, and the Middle East. So maybe they could try something like that. I don't know. We, it's very still vague uh, as to what they will exactly do. I don't know. I remember because one of the major hindrance Cyprus uh, Airways had be, besides uh, mismanagement that probably happened was that I remember they were never able to fly over Turkey. Or they had to avoid Turkey, which uh, oh, created more more costs. And I'm wondering if that new airline will have that. Uh, basically, if Turkey will ban them. I don't know if it's Turkey banning them or Cyprus airlines avoiding on purpose for political reasons. I never quite understood because I never looked into it. But that that's something that would be interesting to. That's see. a
1: great question because in some instances it would, it would be a real addition to the to the routing costs, fuel costs, time, and also I think a lot of people from Cyprus would perhaps. I mean, irrespective of, of political issues, connecting in Istanbul with Turkish Airways gives you a lot of options to fly internationally. Correct. So you, so now I don't know what the options are for getting in and out of Cyprus, but being well, able not to have not that a lot range.
0: actually, not a lot. When I was so, Frank there, you 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 couldn't fly to Istanbul; you had to fly to Athens and then back, or you could fly, which I did. I always took Emirates through Dubai and then flew everywhere else. And if I wanted to come to the UK, I would fly BA. Or Cyprus Airways sometimes, yeah.
1: Yeah, so the Dubai link is there, but the, the Istanbul one is certainly, I would assume, more convenient if they can actually make that happen. So that's a great point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if these guys can make it work. Good luck to them. It's always
0: nice to see a new airline being born. Exactly. So we'll follow up on that when we know more. Uh, staying in Europe, a few countries on uh, the left uh, in Rome. <laughs> which where I was actually just last night, uh, there was a fire a week ago. Do you want to go ahead with that one? Well, I mean, you you saw the results of it
1: first. My God. But yeah, it it sounds like an absolute disaster. And I love it. you sent me a message from uh, from Rome saying there's no lounge access for
0: anybody today because it burnt down. <laughs> That's what the guy, the PA guy told me. I arrive and they say, oh, they, you know, it burned down and looked. But you know what? So, so there was a fire it was May 7th it was exactly a week ago uh, really pretty big fire it happened I think was it during the night or the early hours of the day or the late hours of the, uh, the day I don't remember but
1: yeah shortly after midnight okay
0: exactly so it was it, it went pretty fast pretty quickly I think from a restaurant they are, they're saying but anyway the result the, the images were kind of staggering and the, the it, it's at T3, Terminal 3, which is one of the three terminals which handles a lot of uh, European flights of Italia. So Italia moved out of it, but still a lot of flights were canceled. And a week after, so last night, there were still lots of flight canceled. So BA, I think, has five flights per day, out of which only three are operating currently. Uh, their, their lounge has been burned down. But the, the most staggering thing is when you enter the airport, Terminal 3 of Fiumicino Airport, the first thing is that smell, it's still there. And it's really so you see a lot of the staff are are wearing these face masks with, you know, with filters uh, because I guess they have to work in in it the whole day. And it's really strong. And then when you go past security, which, by the way, is a disaster, uh, which you go past security, you have a first bit of shops. I mean, there should be there, but they're all closed. And I could see one when when the people were just simply cleaning out the mess and cleaning all the residue from the fire, which happened just uh, just besides it, and you can see that the part of the airport is closed. Yeah, you know, they've put like big banners just to so you cannot see be, behind it. Some of the lightning seemed off. I'm not sure if not all the lightning was working. So it's a pretty bizarre experience to be honest. I would imagine so. And I, I, I,
1: we should hasten to add that I don't think anybody was was hurt or killed. In, I don't in think this, so either. in no. this fire, which is which is great news. Um, I think probably because of the time of day it happened, but it meant that. A lot of planes were out of position because they couldn't leave for days. Obviously, a lot of passengers were stranded, but it could have been so much worse. but I, it's so I know that when we were in Hong Kong, you were and and rightly so, wondering if you were ever gonna get there. I mean yeah, <laughs> you yeah, be because
0: scared. my Emirates flights the first day of the fire, uh, I think two out of the three were canceled. There are three direct every day. And then the second day, I think two or one was canceled. I, mean, I was unsure. It's just the day when I left. Remember, I was telling you. Well, finally, they told me that my flight, at least, will will get there, and I'm not even sure. But that's I cannot tell for sure. I'm not even sure I actually, uh, deplaned at T3 because it seemed I was deplaning somewhere else. I cannot be sure, but I'm sure they have at uh, Fiumicino. To have to find contingency planning to how do we get all this capacity when we have maybe a third of our airport of our terminal is closed. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be solving that problem. No, and it's uh, it's not. Sorry for my friend Italian fans. Still, it's not a fantastic airport already. Uh, all the G gates where I was are, but I will do one one day the the Fiumicini airport as uh, in the show. But yeah, staggering experience. Uh, Anecdotically, um, because of all this, Alitalia had to basically fly planes full of just crew over to the cities where they they didn't have any crew there, so oh, they had to fly no. to. New York uh, to Miami, etc., because they just had to fly crew there to be able to bring back the planes according to regulations.
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah. just cost after cost after cost.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, anyway, pretty uh, intense experience. And I hope, I mean, I've seen they started working on it. The airport was already having some renovation. I don't think the renovation is the reason of the fire, obviously, but I think, you know, that just adds more costs and more delays. And I think it won't be solved anytime soon. I mean, oh, you know, geez. when you have a third, I, I'm saying a third, because I, that's what I heard. It could be less, could be a bit more of a terminal that's that's being uh, unusable. You cannot just do that in a week, just cleaned out. No, and,
1: you know. no, you, it, oh God.
0: yeah. There were even signs in the last bit when you enter the airport about the quality of the air, like to reassure passengers that, you know, you you might smell something, but don't worry, you're not going to have any kind of uh, intoxication because you're Uh, breathing. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. Whether or not it's true, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm still alive.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you're... We'll know if you start to to sound different on the next (laughs) podcast.
0: Uh, Another, it's not exactly a story, but I was flying yesterday. uh, So BA from Rome to uh, London Heathrow. Oh, by the way, I think I told you the story. The guy, I'm sorry again, because I'm going to bash a little bit here. But the guy, it never happened to me. Imagine that. I had a check in luggage because I've done all these cities. I didn't have enough room in a carry on. I'm supposed to fly to London to Heathrow, and that's what my ticket says. And I, and I see, you know, and I glad I paid attention that the staff, the ground staff, actually tagged my luggage LGW, so Gatwick. And I was looking at him and said, the hell are you doing? My, my luggage is not going to Gatwick while I'm flying to Heathrow." <laughs> How did they even do that? Because I, I th- don't know. And the guy said, I, I told him because I was paying attention and probably because I knew also these airport codes. We've been talking so many times. And oh, then he no just way. changed it. But I'm like... I'm not even sure there was a flight going to Gatwick. So. <laughs> so your your bag could have gone on vacation without you. Yeah. And I'm, and I'm flying tomorrow oh. again. I would have been bagless. Anyway. So yeah. And I was flying in the in-flight magazine of BA. There was a, an article about uh, First Officer Mark, and I'm trying to pronounce his name correctly. Uh, Van Honaker, I guess that's the way you pronounce it. Uh, and he just wrote a book uh, that will come out. It just came out. It's called Skyfaring: A Journey with a Pilot. Uh, it's just a really good book. There's been today. We've exchanged that just before recording the show. An article in the New York Times that has been adapted uh, from his book. Have, have you read it? The
1: article is yeah. just beautiful. It's, yeah. I mean, the New York Times did a great job of laying out the content, but it's such an accessible article for the for the general public, but technical and nuanced enough for everybody listening to this podcast including us i was just yeah it's, fantastic. it's just mesmerizing it and it's and it's well written and it's it's at the most basic level it's really really well written
0: and, and the thing that i really loved uh, about it is that you can feel that although he's a seasoned pilot he hasn't really lost any of the sense of wonder that is flying you know flying an airplane is still some kind of magical thing. And when you read this article, you're like, wow, this is still fantastic. Uh, this is, that's something that really kind of, I, I want to read his book now because I've read oh, yeah. this. Yeah. I'm excited for his book to
1: come out. It's, and this this article has been doing the rounds on, on social media, even among people who, who travel but aren't like us and totally obsessed with it. So I think it shows the, the potency of the subject.
0: Yeah. Uh, if, if you can get the tone right, and he just he does such a good job. And and staggeringly enough, because that's what I—it was a small interview in the in the magazine, the BA Inflight magazine. Uh, this guy says and answers, "You're you were a late starter. What made you start flying?" And listen to this, he said, "I worked for a management and IT consultancy before I became a pilot. I travelled regularly, racking up hundreds of thousands of miles on British Airways and other airlines." And it reminded me that my childhood love for airplanes and flying had never gone away. And then suddenly I decided to become a pilot. So so he had another life before, and then suddenly, like as an IT consultant, decides to. I really love flying. I do that all the time as a traveler, but I want to be a pilot. That's, I miss that. But how old was he when he when he made this? Uh, it doesn't say the article. I will have to. Maybe he says in his book. But clearly, if he had racked up hundreds of thousands of miles, he couldn't have done that when he was twenty, right? No. <laughs> so,
1: so. So there. I mean, don't think wow. this has passed you by.
0: Yeah, and he says that he first flew then the. Um, uh, he started flying in 2001 first on the A320 and uh, he like he loves the A320 but he really wanted to fly the 747 and that's why he flies today the 747 uh, 400 then and he he goes it goes on about how it's great to fly about it and he says that his favorite uh, route in terms of sightseeing is London to San Francisco because you see England Scotland the glacier of Greenland etc etc and then you come back it's You can feel that this guy, and even though he's flying for like like 14 years, 2001, he still loves flying. The same thing we just said about the article in the New York Times. That's really fantastic to read. It may be a hope for you and me if we (laughs) ever want to be pilots.
1: Well, it is is out in the UK, his book. Yes. And it comes out in the US in June. So it will be on... uh, Definitely on my list.
0: Yeah. And he also writes, you uh, know, I've learned that he writes The Economist. I mean, this guy does it all. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> I am, I have,
1: to, I, I'm going to order it right now. Yeah. 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 I'm yeah, so really excited am. to read this. My other favorite book while we're on the subject uh, about, from a pilot's perspective, is Cockpit Confidential. Oh, yeah. 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 Which is uh, by the guy that does the Ask a Pilot blog. And it is really, really good, really interesting, quite ranty at times, which is entertaining, but good technical. FAQ based book. It's uh, it's really yeah. good.
0: And I'll finish by a quote what he's in the from the New York Times because I really loved it. He says, "The technologies that bring us across the sky still amaze me. We saw Tokyo from so far away. We saw it from the other side of the world through fog and cloud and the skies of many countries. We saw it from London. We saw it from an, another day." When you write that, you're oh, like, "That's
1: nice. It's he, just he loves captivating. flying.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's not bored of being a pilot." Uh, talking about being a pilot, uh, a small article that uh, I stumbled upon the other day says, Asia is running out of pilots. I don't know if you've read it. Uh, it's There are some numbers that are pretty, um, I mean, makes this, make you think twice about, you know, there's a massive growth in Southeast Asia, in Asia, in flying, but not only, of course, in other countries as well, although uh, uh, reports by both Boeing and Airbus show that a big part of the growth will be there, and, yes. they, are, and they're, 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 they don't have enough pilots.
1: Yeah, it's alarming uh, because then standards change, maybe not always for the better. Uh, so you you get into training issues, you get into experience issues. So it is it is a war. Uh, couple that with some of the infrastructure issues that they've had in mm-hmm. Southeast Asia, especially in Indonesia with air yep. with traffic control.
0: With Thailand as well. Thailand,
1: um, re- regulatory issues. The Philippines is finally pulling itself out of decades of... of flight restrictions to the West this is probably just gonna compound that issue unless they find a way to either import
0: pilots, pilots or yeah but we know that pilots are also like on the on the short in the US for instance they say you're not training enough so it's like uh, I mean there are better infrastructures of training in Europe and in the United States, North America than there is in Asia there's the one number that is crazy it says, La uh, Boeing estimates that between 2014 and 2033 Asia-Pacific will need 216,000 new pilots and they're only capable of training 5,000 a year now. I mean, Wow, There's that's such a huge
1: you. disconnect.
0: J- Japan has just raised the age of uh, retirement for pilots from I think 64 to 67 just to cope with that. And wow. actually there are some carriers in Japan that have cut back on routes because they just couldn't find the pilots to fly the planes. It's, it's, it's actually a real bottleneck problem. Interestingly, and I wanted to have your thoughts about this. Here, the article says, and I'm not sure who wrote it, but the article says that maybe uh, Airbus and Boeing should step up because they say, okay, if Airbus and Boeing really want to sell all these planes to cater for all these routes, they should they also participate. In, yeah, yeah, they should participate in the effort.
1: I agree with that. I think it would help I'll streamline the process a lot, but. You see the competitive hiring nature in if you read the back of uh, so, uh, Flight International or Airliner World or any of these magazines. There's all these ads for for pilots, and they list the perks. Right? It's not just mm-hmm. what what is required of you in terms of experience. It's you get this and you get that, and of course, all of the tax-free countries have got a massive benefit in being tax-free. So you get tax-free salary, housing benefits, all are you that ta- stuff. Are you talking about Dubai?
0: <laughs> yeah, but uh, some other
1: places as well, like yeah. Oman and, and um, some other places that have uh, other uh, similar arrangements. But it's becoming – I'm still amazed that, that salaries are, are relatively low, especially, like you say,
0: in the U.S. Oh, wow, in the U.S. Especially when the amount of debt you have to put yourself in just in yeah, order to, to, to get your license.
1: It's it's. It's crazy. So this has major problem written all over it unless they
0: can come up with some kind of solution.
1: and I I don't know what they're going to do. I really don't.
0: No, I don't know either. So maybe the Boeing Airbus route, uh, they will have to wake up maybe. They said uh, Boeing predicted that over the next two decades, decades, uh, they will have to sell – for almost 14,000 planes. So you'll have, have to have the pilots for that. And if they want to sell those planes, as I said earlier, they, may, they might have to help just you know, train those pilots, I don't know. Wow, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's untenable. So still, uh, we're going to the innovation side, uh, part of the, the show, and uh, talking about Asia, talking about an airline in Asia, you flew CX, you flew Cathay, so how was that? I know you love that airline.
1: I do love that I have a massive emotional investment in Cathay, but it had been a long time since I'd flown them, and I did four legs, uh, London, Hong Kong, Singapore, Hong Kong, London, and, man, were they good. They were so good. Uh, (laughs) The long-haul legs I did in premium economy, the short-haul legs were were in economy. None of the planes I was on was older than one year. Wow. The 777 uh, ER, 300 ER that I was on, last night was five months old
0: that's amazing
1: and god that's it it was i think it was the first time i'd been on a 777 300 er and it is a loud plane taking off with the flaps down as soon as those flaps go up silence silence
0: yeah i love that plane that's- it is
1: an uh, amazing airplane, beautifully I, done. Um, I, think Cathay, the, I think that's
0: the plane I've taken the most for long haul. It's, 777X, uh, it's a 777-300ER. Uh, yeah, it's a,
1: it's a great airplane. And Cathay's premium economy product is, is outstanding. It's a small it? cabin like most premium economy cabins are, but it had a really healthy recline, big screen, the live <laughs> camera, uh, wow. um, which, of course, I love. So I had to be next to me <laughs> open, so I had the live camera, on one screen and my movie on the other. <laughs> the, the IFU is good. The service, the service is what nails it. I, I, it's like nothing I've experienced in the UK or US. It was so so good. In flight, on the ground, it was you know typical airport stuff. But
0: even in Hong Kong,
1: yeah, it was good, but not consistent. Okay. Whereas in the air, it was even in economy, it you nothing was too too much hassle for them. You know, getting a cup of coffee 20 minutes before touchdown. No, no problem. Would you like some snacks or anything with that? Like, oh, uh, that's it's nice. just, just such a good airline. And I only discovered after I got back that the pilots have been working to rule for the last few weeks because of a, of a pay dispute. I read it in the South China Morning Post on my flight. Wouldn't have known it. Wow. Our flights yeah. were on time. They were full. Man, were they full. Uh, Five even, times daily, even, even
0: even even in uh, premium economy when you flew, or? premium
1: economy, uh, not was, entirely, but almost. On the way home yesterday, totally full, every single seat. Uh, on the way out, a little lighter. Oh, so you didn't home. have
0: your two screens on the way no. back. No,
1: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, you know, the food was good. The food was excellent. Just, the, I was, I was really impressed. Just an excellent, excellent airline experience. How's
0: and, how's the seat in premium economy? Fantastic, right? really okay.
1: good. I slept and felt great. I I I'm impressed. Uh, every premium economy seat gets a USB port, a a full power plug, uh, and big big beautiful crystal clear screen. Yeah, I was wow. I was impressed with Cathay.
0: That's amazing,
1: tremendously. I also learned that they are the largest operator of the A three hundred and thirty in the world. Oh, didn't know that either. Yeah, wow. they have over fifty of them.
0: Did, is that what you flew from Hong Kong
1: to Singapore? To Singapore, yeah, which was uh, – they, I think they operate the 330 and the 777-200 on that route right now. Oh, wow. Okay. And it was uh, – yeah, it was, it was very impressive all around. Oh, and another benefit, of course, being in Hong Kong, I could use in-town check-in. So in the center of Hong Kong, I could check in up to a day early for my flight and leave my bag and and enjoy the sights and sounds of Hong Kong. So if I have a, a 11 p.m. flight and I need to check out of my hotel at noon, I just do in-town check-in, get my boarding pass in town, and then jump on the Airport Express 50 minutes before my flight, and bam, I'm done. Can,
0: can you even check uh, check in your luggage? You yeah, yeah, that's that? the whole point. Wow,
1: that's yeah, really good. It's, it's very cool, and it's not just Cathay that offer that. There's a few other, uh, obviously Dragonair, which is a subsidiary of Cathay, And a few other airlines offer this service in Hong Kong, but it's super, super useful. Both Greg, uh, uh, my producer for the show, and I used it, and it was a real benefit.
0: Yeah, it is, actually. Uh I failed to mention it when we talked about Geneva, but I know that in Switzerland, where I come from, you can do that. Uh, you know, if you, especially if you go for skiing, and then you want to instead of dragging your skis and all your equipment back to the airport and then back home, you can check at most of the train station the yeah, railway that's, station. That's clever. Yeah, and they actually then they deal with it. They just transport it with by train to the airport. They put it in the plane. And you just get it back when you land at your destination. So it's also. I, th- I think these kind of. Uh, passenger experience expansion are really really neat uh because you don't have you you know like you just said you're just for a few hours in hong kong or you have like a late hour flight and you don't want to carry everything with you that's perfect that's perfect it makes
1: a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense i mean but my economy experience ca- must pale in comparison to some of the uh, the legs that you flew uh, while we met in Hong Kong
0: yeah I was so I flew the three classes of emirates I flew economy I flew business and I flew uh, first I f- let's
1: let's be fair first on emirates is is really the holy grail of. Yeah, I was. Travel. I mean,
0: I've I had been lucky to have done it in the past a few times. Again, upgraded by the gods at Emirates. Maybe they, <laughs> maybe they're listening to this show, and we. I don't know. So thank you guys. I really appreciate it. No, it it, it, it is quite the experience. Honestly, uh, it's uh, well. Imagine you have. I'm six four, one ninety five, ninety six. And, you know, if I recline my bed completely, I still have room. Uh, my feet are not touching the end of the wall. There's no overhead compartment in first, uh, basically. So that that makes you feel that the plane is much larger than it is. It's on the upper deck of the A380, I was. Uh, I'll come to it with the other amenities in a second. So there's no overhead. I feel like a lot of space. You put just your... Uh, luggage in front of you on the side. I mean, there's so much room in that thing. Uh, you can have your privacy, meaning you have a door, sliding doors and close and open at will. Uh, uh, food is on demand, so there's no time. You know, they just you just ask whenever and 20 minutes later you have food. And obviously the food is, I mean, I, I, I'm going to not list everything I had because it would just make people jealous. But you have these wines, you have a list of wines, and they are like some 1990 Reds from France. And, and there's I'm only really- 14 seats, right? Uh, yeah, mine was 14 seats, exactly, yeah. Uh, I, had, I was very lucky to have a window one uh, because, obviously, it was not full. Uh, so uh, I had a window one uh, so I could see you, You, which is very nice on an A380 because most of the seats, if you haven't flown on an A380, whether you are on the upper or the lower deck, you have the, you see the wing because the wing is so massive. Yeah, it really is. Whereas if you're in first, obviously you're very much forward. So you're just in front of the wing, thus having a true view of either the airport or the rest. There are, as all A380s, all the cameras as well. The tail one is always my favorite. I love Airbus for doing that. Uh, yeah, so the experience is honestly staggering. I slept, to be honest, a lot. Uh, so <laughs> I wish, I mean, the screen is massive. The IFE from, so the Inflight Entertainment from Emirates is always ranked uh, number one in the world. It's of, of obviously available in all classes. Yes, one of. 1,500 channels. There are tons and tons of movies in so many languages, from French to Japanese to Indian. You know, again, decater for all these nationalities and destinations. So it's, but you have this benefit of this huge, massive screen in front of you. Uh, no, it's it's quite experience. Of course, the the ceiling, the the floor, the, the of the the cabin during nighttime uh, has a little stars. So you see, uh, there must be little LEDs. So you feel like you have a starry night. <laughs> and wow. And obviously, so I had to try it once in my life—the shower, the spa. The as shower can. on <laughs>
1: an airplane? I mean, so, come so on!
0: I did that once. You know, I didn't need a shower because I had taken a shower. Oh, well, you have to on the layover in Dubai. But I said, okay, come on, I'm in this plane. I have to do it. So it's so they prepare. You have to. They ask you when you enter uh, the plane. They ask you whether or not you want to take a shower because so they can plan if there are many passengers wanting. Uh, so the two front. Uh, toilets, which are usually lavatories that are very small and massive. I mean, honestly, I could sleep there and they're like twice my size. Uh, so there must be at least four meters deep. Uh, there is like amenities, like everything you want from, you know, shaving cream to, you know, all the kind of cream lotion for the for your skin and stuff like that. And so they arranged they put like, a, you know, they put it like in a shower. Uh, the towels and everything for you, so you enter. and in the shower, it, which is actually tall enough. again, I'm tall and I, my head was not touching the uh, above or you know I was not feeling cramped or anything. And you have a timer. So you have as soon as you launch the water, you have twenty minutes, and it's not twenty minutes of water; it's twenty minutes. And you see the timer. Of course, I didn't need a twenty-minute shower, but I just—I'll uh, uh, put some pictures of that little logo that tells you twenty minutes. Uh, the staggering thing, though, for me, it's uh, so I did my shower while the plane was a bit shaky. So there was a fastened seat belt on, was <laughs> but they said, "Don't worry, that's okay." So I had a little sign that tells in. Uh, Yellow that told me I should go back to my seat, but there was no emergency though There is one sign that I've never seen in any other plane in the world obviously because none other as their shower There's a sign in green because I'm sure they want to reassure you basically It's a little you see uh, an icon of someone running towards an oxygen mask
1: <laughs> oh, of course, because they couldn't have an oxygen mask in the shower.
0: And I don't know how that works, because you know, if I had that sign, it means like you first of all you're naked in your shower, and what the hell do you do? Do you run to your seat or?
1: Because <laughs> you maybe there's one in the in the broader because that has like a like a like a little bathroom area. Right? Yeah, yeah,
0: it's a bathroom area. Yeah. Because
1: I'm, you have, I mean, once. But I'm not sure because
0: there's no seat belts, so I'm sure you. They say they they give you a little brochure at the beginning describing the spa they call it, uh, describing this area, and in it they say in case of emergency crew will come to help you back to your seat. So I think they're actually bringing you back to your seat. But still, this sign is—I'll put a picture. (laughs) This sign is like crazy. (laughs) What would you do?
1: So, I mean, the things they would have had to think about to build yeah. that feature is is incredible.
0: And also to be, uh, it takes a lot of room. So basically, if you mentioned many times the uh, Etihad residence, and mm. it's certain that the, the ceiling is lower because we're at the very front of the upper deck, which is, you cannot put a lot of seats there, so which is why, in terms of uh, utiliza- util- uh, utilization of the space, Etihad decided to put this residence there, because anyway, the ceiling is not too high. Whereas Emirates decided they could have added maybe, what, two other first-class See, seats? Yeah. So they said, you know what, two cl- first-class seats would not change maybe our business model. So they did the- those. this. Um, so no, it's honestly very impressive. On the way back, because I still want to mention this, on the way back, um, so it was not in first, but, so I was in Dubai, uh, I told you a little bit of the story earlier, but I was in Dubai and new, normally, uh, we'll come to that when we talk about the airport, when you are, when you are the A380 dedicated terminal, you basically board directly from the terminal to your uh, plane, it's really well done. And this time, I go to a gate, which is a little bit outside, and then I take a bus, and I'm like, what is going on here? And the bus already drove for 20 minutes. We actually did an entire tour of the airport because the flight, the A380 that I was supposed to take to Rome was parked in the middle of the airport. So, for the first time in my life, I actually boarded the A380 with stairs. Wow. <laughs> that so, was- did they
1: use the – they must have used – well,
0: no, maybe not – the Honestly. lower doors. The lower we doors. the lower
1: doors and then anybody on the upper deck had to go up the internal uh, stairs.
0: Exactly, which I never had seen it open. The, the There's a stair uh, at the back, which is more like, uh, you know, a circular stair. Yes. And there's this massive, very elegant stair in the front. And I was always... But this stairs takes too much space for nothing. And they actually put a little chain uh, to prevent people from going up on usually. But this time, for the first time, I was able to see that the stairs was actually utilized by people going up in the upper deck. Uh, so, But it's still, a, I took a lot of pictures, obviously, because boarding that massive airplane from the ground is quite something, actually. I would imagine. They what told, a sense of perspective you must have got. Yeah, they, they told us that it was because they had a last-minute change of plane, so maybe they didn't have time to bring it to, the, to a door or... That's the assumption you and me made. That basically uh, Dubai Airport is already running out of gates. <laughs> yeah, quite possible. I think that might actually be the case. Yeah. So it's uh, anyway very great experience. I'll put some pictures when I have the chance. Probably in the next few days because I'm traveling off uh, the the seat and the shower because that's really something to. That's such a unique yeah, experience. Yeah, an unique experience. I've taken a shower in the, in the skies. I would. Have, I can say I have done it. Check. Sure. <laughs> Off the bucket list. Yeah, uh, talking back to economy, uh, uh, Emirates is actually, I just mentioned the IFE is very good. Uh, They have uh, very good also headsets. Uh, So I usually travel with my Bose QuietComfort 15. They're quite expensive, but they are very good noise-canceling headphones. You almost hear nothing, although the A380 is very quiet. But Emirates offers in all classes, of course, a best one is in first, but in all classes a pretty good headset, and they will release a new headset in economy that apparently is even better. Uh, Would be a square one, also noise cancelling. Again, investing in the customer experience, and I think it's uh, it's it's a good product. So uh, even if you fly economy, try Emirates once. I think it's a, it's a good product. There's. I know that for me, some listeners will, say, will be tired of us talking Emirates, or me at least talking Emirates. Of, co- of course, I've been lucky to be upgraded, so they're kind of buying my voice, but not, I'm still remaining independent, but it is a very quality product. And I'm sure Cathay's as well, compared to some of the other airlines we sometimes fly, you and May, these are very good products.
1: Cathay's were c- Cathays were good in, all, in both the classes I flew in, but what ticked me off about Cathay's was um, they were the proprietary – uh, connector, so I couldn't, even if I wanted to use my own headphones on the IFE, I couldn't.
0: How they were laid out, like the 3 prong thing? Yeah,
1: or? three, the three-pronged uh, triangle.
0: Yeah, but you know, uh, Emirates has that, and so what I have, I have an adapter on my Bose that plays with any, of course, uh, headphones. It's only two. So it's a divider, you know, instead of having a single jack, you have a two jack left and right. What I learned is that it's it's working because the third one is actually the power for the noise cancelling. And since my headphones uh, have a little battery within them, the third one is not needed to work. So I was able to make it work even in, in Emirates.
1: Interesting.
0: Okay. So you should try. You should try. Maybe next time you should try because I think it works. I think the third one is really just a power for the noise cancelling system.
1: That's good to know.
0: Yeah. So anyway, but it's a uh, good products. Uh, of course, for long haul, it's always appreciable <laughs> to have this type of thing.
1: Yeah, especially if you're not on one
0: of those airlines and you do have crappy uh, headphones. Yeah, headphones, exactly. Uh, I'll put a link uh, just to finish off this. I'll put a link just so people have an ID of, a pro- of the program that you can have on IFE in, at Emirates. And it's like a six or seven pages long PDF that Emirates provides and changes every month. And you understand why it's uh, called the, one of the best IA feeds. It's called ICE, Information Communication Entertainment. You have games. You can communi- communicate between seats. You can have, of course, Wi-Fi and everything. It's honestly... You, you can even shop because, of course, well... Of course. <laughs> of course, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one, thi- one thing one thing that, that it's pretty well done uh, uh, It's that when you land, there are there's a video running and it tells you, it explains you what will be the next steps. Like, uh, you know, how do you uh, the plane, and then where you should go, immigration, customs, everything, and I think it's a pretty good thing to do, you know, to kind of not just tell you, oh, your gate, you'll figure it out when you arrive at the screen, you <laughs> can have a, have a company, I mean, maybe you, someone like you and me, Alex, we might not need that because we're more, you know, seasoned travelers, but I think for, you know, people that travel less or it's actually pretty agreeable to have this, it's really well done.
1: Yeah, it's a good idea. I I've seen it on a few airlines. Can they do the live uh, gates for connecting flights when nice. you're coming into Hong Kong, and also show what uh, carousel your bags are going to be coming out on, which is which is pretty cool. But um, yeah, it's an, especially somewhere like Dubai, where if you've never been there before, I would imagine it can be very overwhelming.
0: Yeah. I mean, we'll go to that in a bit when we talk about the airport. Uh, staying in airports. Oh, sorry, it's coming out of airports. We're still talking about connectivity. You and me were staying at a hotel in Hong Kong called Icon. And it had one feature that we both really enjoyed. This was one of the reasons why I booked this hotel, which turned out to be one of the best hotels I've ever stayed at. So. Yeah, thank you, because you recommended it to me. So you were the reason I stayed there. So thank it's,
1: you. Yeah, uh, Hotel Icon in uh, Chim Sa Choi, which actually turns out is a, uh, not an experiment, but a partnership between the Shangri-La Group and uh, the Hong Kong Polytechnic University as a kind of a, uh, a training and experimentation platform, but just a f- phenomenal uh, experience there. But one of the things that you get as a guest there is the use of an Android smartphone with unlimited data and unlimited international calls which is unbelievable staggering See, you can go and call all your buddies you know back home for as long as you want no charge and of course having
0: unlimited data is extremely useful and, and you can tether so meaning uh, i was using it as a wi-fi hotspot so basically i just had it in my pocket i was still being able to use my own phone uh, so i didn't have you know i didn't want to like you know Having to log in on Facebook and all that stuff on that Android phone, but you can simply tether, and for like for all the time we were there, we could you and me communicate for free.
1: Yeah, it, and that's exactly what I did. I, I my phone service lets me roam without any issues in Hong Kong, but uh, when you're roaming, you kind of get knocked down the priority mm. list on the uh, on the cell Speed. towers. Yeah. So actually, and I wasn't I was only on three G, but these phones were four G. So I just turned on, like Paul said, the Wi Fi hotspot and had my phone, and it was just so useful. It turns out, after having a conversation with uh, one of the founders of our app of the week, that this is actually a startup called Handy. Yeah, that was the name of the... Oh, I didn't know that. That was the name of the phone, actually. Correct. Handy.travel. So it's a service provided, not not by the hotels, but by this, this startup, Handy.travel, that put smartphones into... Uh, into hotels, and the the smartphone was loaded up with ancillary, quite useful actually yeah. uh, content about what about to do, the city, the shopping, uh, yeah, 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 maps, um, and all that kind of thing. So really, really good, and I think this is going to be something that we see more and more of. It's 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 a really good idea, or at least from my, my perspective, whether or not there's any business model behind it, I don't care. Because it was a, it was a really good yeah, yeah, feature.
0: Yeah, exactly. I don't care if the the money comes from a partnership with the hotel or it comes from for like you you just said there was a lot of you could have some shopping and some discounts and some shops and stuff. Like the the first screen, the main screen was offers and also tips about the city and etc. And honestly, it's well done, extremely useful, and for me uh, and for you as well. It's for me, it's something that would say you know I'd go to this hotel just because of that. Yeah. Basically. I Absolutely. mean, the hotel was amazing, by the way. There's other really nice features. We both were upgraded, lucky us. But it's not just a hotel, even if you're not upgraded. It's a great hotel, great location, very nice rooms, Wi-Fi and everything, and that phone. So, I mean, if I had that phone, even with a crappy hotel for me, I would like, you know what? I'm, I think I'm going to go for them. It's yeah. It's an amazing extension of that experience we keep talking about when we travel. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, still talking about experience Uh, there was this article on the uh, the new york times asia uh, builds best airports basically uh we just had the experience I mean, we were in hong kong we talked about hong kong it's still i hadn't been in hong kong for a bit so it's still it's pretty cool airport i I liked it a lot it's yeah it's a good airport
1: it's very well laid out uh it's nice and airy there's great views they're out they have outbound immigration in hong kong which tends to slow things down a little bit but it's, yeah, uh, but, yeah, it's a good yeah. airport. It's a, I, it's
0: a good airport. And we both mentioned that there were airports like Changi, obviously, in Singapore. You were there; it is a pretty fantastic airport, especially in terms of what you can do. Did you enjoy any of it or you just like food <laughs> Uh It's a
1: good question. I got to Changi uh, yesterday. Gosh, it was yesterday morning at 4 o'clock <laughs> in the morning local time. Uh, I have to say, you know, Changi is a phenomenal airport. Terminal one, which oh, yeah. is where I
0: is starting to get a little bit tired. Old, Yeah, it's the oldest one. Yeah, it's true. It's the central one. Is a bit you can, you can, if you have time, you can. And I would recommend to anyone, you can just walk next on terminal three or two because they're walkable distance. But it's true that terminal one is a bit uh, like tired, is the right term to use. Yeah, yeah.
1: So I and they acknowledge that they're working on on a massive expansion project at Changi. But uh, yeah, g- great airport. Great airport.
0: Yeah, that's actually where they, uh, the the point of the article is that uh, these expansion plan you just mentioned Shangi, which should mentioned they're creating that new there's a new terminal plus they're creating this kinda of central thing was gonna be a mall. We we mentioned Seoul Incheon, which also is creating this all experience where there's a you know entertainment center, there's and the, the staggeringly this article mentions that globally 385 billion worth uh, dollars uh, of projects are in progress especially in China and the Middle East and Asia obviously that's a lot of money to improving the experience of airports and currently when you have all all the ratings about airports always in the top five besides Munich that we also covered, it's usually Asian airports. And they are overall better. I mean, I don't know if you agree, but overall the experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think head and shoulders. And that's uh, the, f- the fun bit is that obviously they compared that to American airports, which I know I'm a specialist of saying they look dull. But this is like what they say. They say, well, there's no comparison. And uh, though there are improvements, we mentioned a few improvements by airlines or their lounges in, you know, in a previous episode, but they are also investing, but they are apparently having some of the airports have difficulty finding financing for, for these investments. Which is staggering, given what we've just spent the last hour and
1: seven minutes talking about that the airlines uh are facilitating so much international and intercontinental trade that not investing in
0: the infrastructure to
1: facilitate that that uh trade is beyond yeah. stupid.
0: And also one thing that is very uh true in American airports is that there's really they're maximizing the space. And this is why sometimes they look like malls, more like than an airport because they're like, we're going to rent every single inch of space and try to do something that will create revenue. Hong Kong airport feels like that. The True. Downstairs. Well. Yeah, absolutely. Before the gates.
1: <laughs> I mean, you could shop there for hours and hours and hours and eat there for hours and hours.
0: Yeah, but the the, the what I was trying to say is that at least in Asian airports, these malls, because they are also malls, shanghi, you know, all these, but they have uh, the They'll beautifully, beautifully, designed, beautifully design, or at least okay design. Where in the U.S. you sometimes really look like you're at Walmart. No, I'm exaggerating, but it's like there are lots of stuff to buy. So at least you have uh, stuff to do, uh, which usually is shopping. But it's not really like a very glamorous experience. And again, I'm not saying that all airports should be like you know Doha or something like that, because that's <laughs> not impo- that's not possible. But there's a, I think there's a balance in there. Uh, in the in a podcast related to it, uh, so again, can I? Uh, this is how I found this story. Again, can I send me the um, the link to the podcast of Slate, Slate Money? And they talk for about fifteen minutes about that. I'll put the link in the show. It's a very good podcast to listen to if you like podcasts. And uh, it's interesting because they have a debate about the exact same debate we're having here. Uh, they actually invited Felix uh, Salmon. I don't know if you know this guy. He's a mm-hmm. very uh, which, which he says that he prefers airports like Lucy, like we had last week, because he wants to go in and out. He doesn't care about the rest. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But he, I think they make that mistake of you know, conflating an airport and a mall and not understanding that like, you know, an airport can be utilitarian and a little bit also nicely designed as well. And we mentioned Munich. Munich, is an example, It's not like in your face, but it's very well laid out. You can still have, you can still shop. But at the same time, he's very well done. You don't. Yeah, mean, it, there's they, a balance.
1: Exactly, like, exactly right. They've got that balance of um, the the Lucy passenger and also the person who's got six hours to kill. Yeah, yeah, between, absolutely. And that's not easy. And so kudos to them. I, 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 it's it's a it's it's a great airport. Both of them are great airports. Lucy is a great yeah. airport. Munich is a great airport. Hong Kong is a great airport.
0: And the uh, the one thing they say, I think, is right. They say, you know. I think it's a fair argument. See, people go to Paris anyway, whether or not there's Char de Gaulle, and they go to New York anyway, whether or not there's JFK. So at least they say that, well, the incentive to create an experience might not be as much in a city that is established already for both trade and tourism, and that what we see in the Middle East or Incheon is a bit of nation branding. It's like, look this is what we achieved, right? And it's,
1: it's I'll, I'll admit. It's the it's, first thing that you experience
0: as a visitor yeah, to that yeah.
1: country, right? I get that. Well, yeah. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point.
0: Uh, another little piece of, bit of news that I've heard before we go to the app of the week that you're going to mention, but uh, I thought about you when I read it. It's not directly linked to airports, but you said you asked Dan Rubin, how to make a good picture from a plane window? Yes, uh, and we'll invite him one day to uh, for him to explain us how he does it. But there was this MIT uh, patent that was just released. Uh, they invented something that it, when you know, when you take a picture of any glass, so there's a window or there's a pane of glass in front of you, you get that reflection of you or the background. So they invented uh, something that basically erases it all. So there's no window anymore, and that would be great to have in our iPhones. That's amazing. So I thought about you. That would be amazing to be able to do that from a plane window. Then you didn't. You wouldn't have to think about the glare and everything. Everything would be perfect. Anyway, we'll we'll ask Ruben uh, Dan about this.
1: Yeah. Dan Dan will be uh, the expert. I'd love his thoughts on this as well. But What a technological achievement, an algorithm that removes the reflection from photos. That's cool.
0: That's cool, yeah, exactly. So the app of the week, uh, it's not exactly related because it's part of the experience, but you had an experience with it. You actually used it, so tell us.
1: I did. um, The app app is called Hotel Quickly, and it is a uh, last-minute or same-day hotel booking app. Now, you may be familiar with Hotels Tonight, which uh, is based in the U.S., and, and a very U.S.-centric app. This is similar. There, there are differences, notable differences, but focused more on Asia. And I actually uh, met one of the founders in Hong Kong. He was connected by a, a mutual friend, and it was really, really interesting conversation about the different consumer mindsets and, and last-minute travel uh, markets in uh, Asia compared to the U.S., all that aside, I decided to change some flights around, or had to change some flights around, which meant I was gonna be having an extra unplanned day in Hong Kong. And I thought, all right, I'll put this app to the test. So I landed in Hong Kong, and they have a similar thing like Hotels Tonight where the sales don't come on to online until a certain point in the day. And in their time in, in ho- ho- uh, Hotel Quickly, it's, 8 a.m. local time. Well, my flight took off at 6.45, so I had to wait until I landed at 10.30. So I collected my bag, jumped on the airport express, and by the time I would got to uh, not even halfway to Hong Kong, I had found a four-star hotel in the mm. middle of Wan Chai on Hong Kong Island. Very good hotel, well-reviewed, and it was, I think I paid 48 pounds. Oh, wow. <laughs> and for those of you that have seen search for hotels in Hong Kong you can understand Paul's reaction that's a hell of a price yeah absolutely and the experience was was really really good i could see the amenities i could re- read other people's reviews the payment process was simple there was no issue when i got to the hotel they were expecting me they actually upgraded me yeah it was a it's a great app i'm not that type of person but now i think having had such a seamless experience i i will i will do that When I I challenged him and said, look, man, I'm not going to come to Hong Kong from London and not have a hotel booked. He's like, yeah, you're not really the audience, although some people do. He said uh, a lot of people are looking at kind of weekend breaks or that type of thing and being inspired by the rates that they see available and then kind of reverse planning from there, which I hadn't considered. And that, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So kudos to the hotel quickly, guys. Uh, They are all over Asia They've raised a, like over five million bucks in funding, which is very, very good for Hong Kong. Um, they're kind of flying the Hong Kong flag there, so so keep going, guys, and uh, maybe we'll get them on the show one day to talk about
0: that 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 type of uh, booking mentality that still freaks me out a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, you you said it. I mean, we were both going to Hong Kong to had like four nights or whatever. I mean, if it, if it was for a weekend, I might have done it like you i would be freaked out like you know i want everything planned i don't want to go there and i don't have a hotel but it's also the kind of thing that you know i want to be in the same place for four nights in a row so uh, i would love to have if i know that the the app would allow me to find a hotel for like say three nights in a row i might if it's just for one night and i'm like okay i should i do that every day so it becomes a pain but no I it can. was
1: it was multiple nights and i oh I think, okay yeah but multiple we're not the night yeah. okay, yeah. well, okay. so i mean i think the use case in our context, both living in, in London is if I was to open up the app on a Friday afternoon and see a five star hotel on the Champs Elysees for 39 pounds, I'd be like, oh, let's, you know, let's jump on the Eurostar. That's man. Right. This yeah. Is, yeah. T- I'll take the wife and, and uh, the kids <laughs> can figure it out.
0: But that that I and that I absolutely okay. understand. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, you just said anathema because you said using a train to go to Paris. No, you should fly. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I should
1: be removed from this podcast immediately. But hell, f- no, no. Flying, flying from London to Paris makes very little no sense. sense. Yeah,
0: absolutely no sense. Also, the Eurostar. Uh, <laughs> anything else? Um, no. I, I, you know. I,
1: if you're flying in an, around Asia, especially if you're based in Asia. Uh, I would, yeah, you should I check would it grab out.
0: It. Yeah. I think it's a great little app. It's a great app. Uh, so as we said last uh, last week, no big topic of the week for time's sake. We'll have them some from time to time. So no one, not uh, a topic this week. Uh, no question either, uh, because we want to uh, be uh, mindful of your time listening to us, and th- we thank you so much for bearing with us every <laughs> single week. So we're going to move directly to the airport of the week, Dubai, Dubai Airport. Uh, so. Very big airport. I was there uh, just uh, yes, no, I four four days ago. So I've been there twice, thrice this month. Uh, so have you ever flown to that airport? I have been once. Which airline was it? So which like sixteen years ago? <laughs> wow, that must have been quite different.
1: Yeah, it was just a shed. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was on Emirates. Uh, one of my favorite airline mementos is there. It's a picture of me on the flight deck. Nice with the captain. Somewhere over Syria when when you could do that.
0: Actually, you, you know what? You can still ask. Uh, uh, so uh, when I was flying from uh, Frankfurt to Dubai, uh, I was in a 777 because I just changed my flight to the very last minute. I want to take an earlier one. So the first flight out is a 777, not the A3D and i hear on uh you know the, the pa that uh, well the pilot is greek so i'm like mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh actually you can he, you know he, they say that if you if you ask kindly and you know if you don't look like you're completely wasted or you're just they, they usually would still potentially allow you in Not flight
1: in flight wow cuz i th- i th- i thought that you know with the current restrictions and then with the uh with the german wings tragedy that You know, it was never ever going to come back. I, I, it's that to me is one of the biggest shames. Shames, yeah, I agree. How many kids, how many current pilots, flight attendants, engineers, dispatchers, first fell in love with aviation when they were taken up there as a,
0: as a, as a kid. As a guest, yeah. And seeing it. But I think I think what is for sure is that when the plane is still on the ground, especially before takeoff, when the doors are still open, just ask a moose. You know, if you have a kid, they will let you in. Yeah, I'm like it's yeah. guaranteed, and they will even make your kid sit sit at the you know at the pilot seat and just take a picture or something. That's even even if it's not flying, it's staggering when you see all this stuff around you, especially as a kid. Because I remember I had a similar experiences as a kid in the in flight decks and, and you know even if, even though if it's not flying just try to do that because as a kid it's something that you know it's magical. And it's illogical yeah. to us, to you and me. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean I'm thirty five and I still get a yeah. kick out of all that stuff. So the uh so Dubai airport obviously that's it's funny that you said that you've been like what, what sixteen years ago you said? Yeah. Because the Dubai airport now caters for a seventy million passengers a year. The capacity is actually at seventy, it will increase at seventy five uh, and I'll come to that in a few when the uh, Terminal D, uh, Concourse D, sorry, is finished. But so they are at capacity. They are the number one airport in terms of uh, passenger traffic, inter- international passenger traffic, because if you count all passengers, Atlanta, uh, Beijing, even Heathrow and Haneda are still in front, and I think they're in um, Dubai is on par with LAX. But in wow. terms of international traffic, they are at more than 70 million passengers a year with a growth. And you mentioned, so you said a shed. In 2001, they were only at 37 million. So the growth is absolutely staggering in terms of number of passengers. That really is incredible. Most of it, obviously, is due to Emirates, though they are foreign carriers. I mean, do not misunderstand that, you know, uh, this airport is all about Emirates. A lot of it is, but there are foreign carriers. Actually, when I took that bus I mentioned earlier today to do the railway airport, I have seen BA, Virgin and other airlines at, you know, at their stand. So there are many other uh, airlines. They also have their own lounges and everything. So do not mistake that airport for being only Emirates. There's also Fly Dubai. Uh, Fly Dubai is, uh, is a competitor of Emirates, but on a much smaller scale. So the layout of the airport is a bit... Uh, so you have on one side, you have uh, Terminal 1, which is the oldest terminal. Uh, like you, you just said yourself, Alex, about Singapore, it's also the one that looks a bit more dated. It uh, the, the experience is not the best. Uh, you There you have uh, both Emirates and other airlines. Then you have Terminal Three, which is the newest terminal, which is exclusively Emirates,
1: and that's the one that's the biggest indoor space on Earth, I think, or
0: something. Yeah, so, it's just some, it's, some staggering. It's staggering. Statistic. So you have the B gates, which is one concourse, and uh, so they, they call it concourse B. Uh, and you have the A gates, which is a newer newer one. I know it doesn't make sense because A shouldn't be first, but <laughs> it's a newer one. And that's basically where you have the A380 uh, landing slots at the, at the concourse A. They are so. It's not a very homey airport. I'll be, I'll be. honest. It's this very massive airport. So it depends where you are. You have a lot of shops, obviously, a lot of restaurants. In terms of activities, you have a lot of stuff to do. Maybe not as fun as Shangi, though. You have a swimming pool uh, inside in the hotel airport. I think it's called International Hotel or something like that. So you could go to a swimming pool.
1: Have they figured out? This drives me. I mean, I think I think that Hong Kong does a good job of this. Heathrow
0: does not where you you feel like you're
1: walking forever and
0: ever and ever so that's depending on the destination so obviously when you're flying like for instance to london at london flight the first flight in the morning is the ek1 so it's it's a flagship flight so if you're flying to major destination hong kong we just did i landed so let's take the example i did i landed from frankfurt which is also a, a big city for them and i flew to uh, to Hong Kong, well, th- even though it was through Bangkok, this was all in a single terminal, didn't have to walk. Actually, because I was in the lounge, and I'll come to the lounge a bit later because I'm lucky we have status, because I was in the lounge, everything happens. You, even, you don't even go in a non-lounge area. You are in the lounge and you board from the lounge. So that's mm. extremely well done. Though then if you were to fly in less, uh, modern in less big destinations for instance when I was living in Cyprus and would would fly from Cyprus even though it was emirates then I had to walk to terminal one uh the one I mentioned the oldest one that's being renovated but then it might take a little bit longer it's true but I so, think I mean the, the sensible thing like in Hong Kong there
1: are two sets of uh security at each end of the airport so there's you just you're oh that's true. all that's channeling true. through one. There's one at the north side, one at the south side, and you you don't necessarily have to pick which one you go through. But it means that if you pick them correctly, then your walk is actually pretty
0: short to, to your gate. Yeah, there's only one security. So the same idea here. You don't have to go. You know, it's not one of those airports when you have security at the gate. So it's one security. Usually, if you fly Emirates, you'll be entering through Terminal uh, Three. Right. Uh. So, and. It's. I've done it because obviously I've also stayed in Dubai. Uh, going out is extremely easy. You can, actually, now they've installed biometric passport readers and they have, I think, 15 to 20 passports. Most of it, of course, uh, the American one plus European ones. You, can just, you just scan and in. That's it. Nice. That's very easy. When you go the other way, it was always very painless uh, to go back in. The security was never, I don't ever remember. Although it's a massive airport, I never remember having. But it's true that sometimes, you have to walk they have a train that links uh, some of the terminals obviously but it's this massive and and you can feel that you know since they had to grow so massively they added one terminal next to the other and next you know and sometimes the link between them doesn't really truly make sense mm-hmm. like going through the train what i just said you, ha- you they still have to have staff telling you oh you know turn here to take the train it's not clear absolutely clear where you have to take the train but, they, did, but they 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 do staff it so the experience is good Obviously, again, if you're in a lounge, it's even better because then there are two types of lounge. The lounge uh, in, a, in a B, Concourse B, which is the oldest part of Terminal uh, 3 of Emirates, there are massive lounges uh, on the first floor. But for me, the most impressive lounges are in, term, in uh, Concourse A, which is the newest one for the A380, as I mentioned, because each lounge is an entire floor. So basically, you're not. Wow! The first time I went there, I was not even sure I was in a lounge because you're like, okay, and you know, you expect the lounge to be like a room or mm. you know, and then basically it's a floor. So you can have you have multiple rooms, you have a number of you have I don't know, I don't six seven restaurants. You have, Jeez. you have duty free in the lounge. So you don't even have to go out. You can just if you want to do duty free because it's a major shopping destination. Uh, the other thing that many people know, you can win a car there's always a luxury car. So there's a lottery, you can go, you can pretty usually see it just when you walk into, and I'm not talking the lounge, but anywhere, you'll see the car. If you put your name in, you might actually win it. And it's, uh, Wow. usually very luxurious i don't know set um i think this one was a lexus or something so uh and they are uh, the fun thing is if you want to sleep by the hour in terminal one there's one they they, they call a snooze cube uh, yeah. little pods uh, very japanese-like with a tv and you you can pay by the hour it's pretty nice it's uh i've done it once a very long time ago but it's, it's pretty cool clever uh, but it's really basically lots of restaurants lots of Malls not very homey, but very lots of stuff to do, and you have to because, again, most of the time you are on a layover because that's a system of Emirates, you're flying from and to another destination, so you have two or three hours to kill. There's always stuff to do. Strangely enough, the airport is actually m- much bu- busier between 11 and 4 a.m. That is the oh, rest I of the bet. time, <laughs> Yeah, the rest of the time it's empty. So, and of course,
1: yeah. National Geographic did a ten-part yeah. documentary about Dubai Airport, which is which is good. It, it's a bit fluffy in parts, but there's some really interesting uh, bits and some phenomenal photography. One of the one of the best. I haven't managed to get through all of it yet, but in one of, I think maybe the third episode, they talk about re-engineering an A330, I think it is, and the tests. They go up on the test flight and how they. They do the – this is a new – maybe you've heard about this, but there's certainly a new thing to me called the engine slam test where they turn the engine off and then they slam it all the way open and then they throttle it back again and then they slam it all the way open. And that, you know, if the engine's going to fail, it's going to fail doing that. And that's, that's how they tested it. Wow. And it was, uh, it was really, really very interesting, the, the, the process that, it, that it was go through. So if you're able to find it on your local National Geographic uh, station, it's worth watching.
0: Yeah, it's absolutely. Yeah, I have I have the link for the the Nagio dot I think it is. I'll I'll put it on, but you sh- you should watch it. Uh, I, so, like you said, some of the episodes are subpar, some are better, but it's a, it's a nice one. Uh, I will also quickly say that if you are going to Dubai, so you're staying in Dubai, first of all is depending, of course, of your nationality, but it's pretty easy. They make it very easy to enter the country. Uh, You have the metro. Uh, You have two lines, depending which terminal. Terminal one and three is, I think, the red line, and terminal two is, which I'll come in in a second, is the green line. So they are very modern lines, but obviously still, I would still recommend getting just a cab. Because the city is uh, it's not very far, actually. Even if you have a short layover, you can go to the city and back uh, see that massive tower, the Burj Khalifa, the highest tower in the world. And uh, I would recommend it. There's no rooftop, because I know you, Alex, love rooftops. There's no rooftop in uh, Dubai Airport City, uh, the runway and uh, airplanes. Sad. It's a oh. bit sad. But, of course, it's so hot in Dubai that I'm sure, yeah. well, Exactly. Uh, ask me if anyone wants to know where to do some plane spotting. There are some hotels around it. I stayed at one, the Premier Inn, where they have a rooftop uh, swimming pool. And you can see some of the planes. It's really nice. Nice. So I'll tell you. just ask me, guys, and I'll tell you where which uh, which wants to go to. And I will. I know I've said that before, but the when you land again with Emirates, there is a movie telling you how to find your way out. Either if you're on layover, it tells you what to do. Uh, or if you are going out to Dubai, also tells you what to do. It's very well done. It's new because last time I took Emirates a year ago, it didn't exist. It used to be that the movie was about Dubai and telling you, you know, what the destination it was. Now it's really more practical, but it's very well done, uh, telling you how th- how you're supposed to go out of the plane and stuff. Very, You know, you see, they put a lot of investment in the passenger experience. I will finish with a foreign carrier because I mentioned a lot of Emirates. I've never flown any foreign carriers to 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 Dubai airport. So currently they are at terminal one, the oldest one, but nicely enough, nicely enough, actually. So the terminal, the Concourse D, so the new terminal that is being built, almost finished because I saw it, will be given to the foreign carrier. So when people say, you know, the foreign carriers are being the depression, ah. they will give the newest one to, uh, to the foreign carriers and they will, and Emirates will take over the oldest one. So Emirates actually taking the, the oldest bit of the airport, which is a, not wow. the best for them and giving the best new one for the foreign carriers. I mentioned BA, Lufthansa, others are there. I've never seen it from the inside, I've seen it from the outside, but it looks great. So that's a good gift. And to finish, Terminal 2, if you ever fly to Terminal 2, that's a bit bizarre because it's the only terminal that's in the opposite, the other side of the runways. So there's no link. From that terminal to the th- the, th- the other ones, but these are it's a terminal that's only occupied by Fly Dubai first, and also by uh, uh, basically low cost airlines that go in the region, India, Saudi, uh, all this, this the region, of the Middle East. So chances are you'll never get there, but it's true that some people I've heard said I need to connect to fl- to fly Dubai. This is a pain. You you have to take a cab basically Wow. to, to do the route of the airport. There's no direct link yet. There are plans to to do it. So uh, I was lucky at to never to have done it, and I cannot also tell you the experience at Terminal Two. So, massive airport. Uh, we heard. Uh, I told you that I heard uh, uh, Tim Clark, the CEO of Emirates, saying. That the airline should expand and expand and expand i don't see how they can expand there so probably at some point they will move to al-maktoum will it's a new airport that is just opened does mostly cargo cater like we said for eventually to 240 million passengers Extraordinary. which would you think we think about so they have this airport that is almost brand new dubai and they will say oh we'll abandon it and go to another one i mean that's crazy really. <laughs> that's that's dubai in a nutshell though <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so that's, that's about it. If you want any tips about Dubai airport, ask me because I've been there several, several yeah, times. Yeah, you,
1: you basically live there.
0: <laughs> no, no, I don't. Uh, and on that, Alex, I mean, um, I'm not sure we're going to uh, record uh, for the next few, uh, the next week, sorry, because I'll be traveling. This time I'm going to Prague and New York. Uh, but I'll be able to report on how it is to fly from Milan to New York with Emirates. Yeah, that will be interesting to hear. Are you traveling again or are you finally settling uh,
1: I don't travel till the end of the month when I do London, Atlanta, Fort Myers, New York, London.
0: Nice. Over a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a great topic, another crazy route to be talking about. And
1: it will be my first my first flight on a 787.
0: I'm so jealous. So I will report I am back on so that. I'm so jealous of you. <laughs> I I've never done it. I'm so jealous. Oh, God damn it. God damn you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, guys. Uh, Alex, thank you. And uh, I guess, uh, if not next week, the week after. Looking forward to it. Safe travels. You too. On behalf of layovers and the entire crew, we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today. And we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week. Flight attendants, please prepare for landing.